As an eight-year-old boy, learning to play the piano felt like torture. I was told it was as simple as practicing the lesson, but I just wasn't learning. My memories of pounding the ivories in that cold, sterile practice room were not positive. In fact, I remember wishing that somehow Beethoven himself would rise from the grave and help me in person. He didn't, of course, and in the end, I gave up piano in favor of guitar, because I thought I would look better practicing it. <laughs> As Christians, we often feel like I did learning the piano. You hear the phrase, follow the example of Jesus, and you instantly feel frustrated, perhaps even exhausted. So as we think about Jesus victoriously overcoming the lies of Satan in the wilderness, we learn a lot about the nature of temptation. But how can we actually face it ourselves? I'll be honest, I actually begin to lose heart when I think about fasting for more than five days, let alone 40 days in the wilderness. But this is precisely where the gospel gives us hope. See, unlike Beethoven, who could never rise again and send me supernatural power to play his fifth symphony, faith in Jesus Christ provides the power we need to face the daily temptations of life. Christ has not only left us with an example or a lesson, he has left us with a helper, and his name is the Holy Spirit. Now, when I was a brand new Christian, I thought only certain believers had the power to overcome temptation. In my mind, there were two classes of Christians. There were normal Christians, me and my friends, and there were next level Christians, everybody else. Normal Christians couldn't really overcome sin, overcome temptation, and were otherwise destined to live a mediocre Christian life. But then I thought there were the next level Christians. These were like the supercharged, extra holy, privileged Christians who had the power to overcome. But thank God I was dead wrong. I remember reading as a new Christian through the book of Romans, overwhelmed by the promise that through faith in Jesus, God inhabits every single believer and gives us the power we need to live like Jesus. The Holy Spirit's power is not the privilege of special believers, but the promise to every believer. In the first century, early Christians heard the same message. They were not told to follow the example of Jesus in their own strength. They were told of God's promised spirit who would dwell in them and empower them. This is what the early church in Rome heard when Paul wrote his letter to them. That's why after explaining the truth and power of Christ's work accomplished for fallen humanity on the cross, he begins to tell them of the resources available to every single believer. That means that all that we need to face temptation, to conquer sin, and to walk in holiness is brought to us by the Spirit. He doesn't come and go from our world, so we don't need to fear his absence. In fact, he makes you his new home. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. He says, And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives within you. As a busy uh, parent with three daughters, my wife and I savor moments of rest and relaxation. And whenever we get the chance to get away, we indulge in what you might think to be the most dull and uninteresting thing, home renovation television shows. <laughs> Now, I hate to admit it, but there's just something so appealing about watching homes previously uninhabitable become residences that reflect the character of their new owners. 
And it's just a hint of what happens when God dwells in us because we are uninhabitable because of sin. But through the gospel, we actually become a habitat for divinity. So the first point I wanna make from Romans 8 is this. You are God's residence. The spirit of life is in you because of justification. Paul makes this very clear. The only way you are able to have a right relationship with God is by believing that Jesus lived on your behalf and died and took the penalty for your sin on the cross so that you could be born again. It's because of justification that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in everyone who believes. Because of this this righteous standing before God, we are secure in him. There is no second gospel of the Holy Spirit. I think this is very important. There's only one gospel. Every Christian who believes on the gospel, mature or immature, is in the spirit. However, there is always a need for greater dependence upon his spirit. And knowing that we face daily temptation should drive us there. Now, one of the highlights of the home renovation shows, just in case you're waiting on the edge of your seat to find out, is not only the purchase of the home, but it is the remodeling process. Once the owners get the keys, they draw up plans and they hire workers and they begin to transform their new house into a home. And one of Paul's important themes here in the eighth chapter of Romans is just that. Once God takes up residence in the believer, he doesn't stop there. He begins a process, and this is what we need to face temptation with hope. A deeper awareness of God's presence in us will always lead to a greater demonstration of power through us. Like a newly purchased home begins to take on the character of the owner, we begin to take on the character of our God because he is turning his new house into a home. So Paul, first of all, makes very clear that you are God's residence. But secondly, this, the renovation has begun. If you've ever lived uh, in a house or an apartment while it's being worked on, then you have a small picture of what Christian growth can actually be like. Sometimes it's messy, sometimes it's painful, but it is always for a purpose. The Latin term from which renovate is derived means making new. God isn't in the process of making us a little bit better or just a little bit different. He is in the process of making us new. But we all know that old habits die hard. Old patterns can be difficult to break. And that is why the renovating process can feel a little painful at times. But if we're honest, we have to admit that sometimes we are the ones that make it difficult. And a lot of that has to do with our expectations. Many of our frustrations in the Christian life, in our process of growth through this whole renovation process comes from our expectations. Not that they are too high, but in fact, they are too low. We fall into the temptation to be sub-Christian, aiming for less than what God wants for us. Now, I'm not saying that uh, God is going to drop a gold mansion from heaven on your property, but I'm talking about the character of your life. We just settle for little tweaks here and there, an addition over in that part, when God's plan is not a touch-up, it's an entire remodel. A house redesigned by God will look more 
like Jesus. My wife and I used to own a home in the East Hollywood area of Los Angeles. It was old, it was built around 1921, and it was on the side of a small hill. And one day, we began to notice little cracks appearing on the back wall, and the door started to stick. I tried at first just to cover up the cracks and adjust the door, but things kept getting worse. And it wasn't until I went underneath the house that I realized that the whole foundation was completely cracked. And it took way too many weeks and way too much money to fix it. Like my cracked foundation, some of our biggest problems are the ones that we're not even aware of. See, the cracks in the wall did not create the problem. They revealed the problem. The constant temptation in the Christian life is to only deal with the surface issues, as though the the problems are only there, as if they're only little cracks on the wall. And perhaps that's why so many Christians are not desperate for or dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. They don't see the need for it. And Satan would love nothing more than a bunch of unempowered Christians. And the way he tries to accomplish this is by convincing us that the problem of sin really isn't that bad. We can take care of it on our own. And all the while, there is a deeper issue underneath the surface. See, temptation in popular culture is often trivialized. It's used for delectable sweet products, as if Satan's whole agenda was to get us to break our diets and give us diabetes. And now, while it does take on greater meaning within the church, it is still confined to so-called capital S sins, like alcohol abuse, extramarital affairs, or addiction to porn. Now, don't misunderstand me. These are awful sins, And temptation can certainly lead there, but in reality, temptation is so much more extending to our desires, extending even to our ambitions and our attitudes. No one falls outwardly into temptation who has not first fallen inwardly. But this is where, I believe, temptation can become our opportunity. When we start to see the little cracks in our behavior or our attitudes, You don't just overlook it as though it doesn't matter. Instead, we take an honest look at what scripture has to say about our flaws, for underneath them are always deeper issues. The answer is not to pretend that there are these things called small sins and that they don't matter, because there are only small sins if there is a small God. They need to be seen for what they are. But we shouldn't take this as a discouragement. Take this as truth from the God who loves you and who is in the process of remaking you. See, temptation has a way of revealing issues that you didn't think were there. And though Satan's goal, as we've learned, is to expose our weakness in order to defeat us, God allows this process in order to heal us. Through repentance, we destroy the work of Satan. And in the next session, we're gonna talk practically about what that looks like and how it happens. But know this, those little cracks are reminders to us of how much we need God. These times are pivotal for our growth. The Holy Spirit enters the inner dialogue of our heart and reminds us that we belong to God and that there is nothing that we truly need that he does not provide While we are looking to deal with little cosmetic touch-ups, God is actually rebuilding the entire foundation. 
And the more you become aware of how great and deep the problem of sin is, the more you rejoice in the one who can fix it. He cares about every single detail because he's making you his home. He's planning on coming to live in your life himself. And thirdly, the power is the relationship. Living with someone, uh, your spouse or a roommate or a family member, brings both intimacy and difficulty. I remember the early days when my wife and I first got married, how we discovered all sorts of things about each other that in the previous two years of dating, we didn't really know. You see what they see. You experience what they experience because you're in the same dwelling place. All of my habits that were previously acceptable to me, like leaving the cap off the toothpaste or leaving my dirty clothes on the floor, were apparently no longer acceptable because of the presence of another. When we think about God's renovation process, we must keep in mind the purpose. It's relationship. God is not flipping you so he can put you back on the market. He has come to renovate you to make his home with you. That's his goal. Relationship is the goal now and in eternity. And we do not want to grieve him. That means that God must expel the things that are contrary to his nature, the very things that, that grieve his heart. His presence in us, his relationship with us reveals many areas of our life that are in desperate need of renewal. So it is for the sake of, of greater and deeper intimacy that God is getting rid of sin in your life and getting rid of snares in your life and empowering you to face temptation. The book of Revelation contains a well-known but often misunderstood letter from Jesus to a lukewarm church. He says in the first century to the church of Laodicea, you boast and brag about this relationship you have when in fact you're not engaged in it. So the middle of this particular letter, he says those words to this church and perhaps to us, behold, he says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Though this is often used by Christians as an evangelistic text, he is actually speaking to the church. He says those he loves, he corrects and rebukes. He's not saying that the church has all of a sudden become unsaved. He's saying that the church is his house, but he's not being let in. Or to put it another way, there's ownership, but there's no intimacy. They claimed to have it when in fact they lost it. Revelation chapter three, verse 20 is not an invitation to conversion. It's an invitation to renewal. See, so let's face it, one of the great temptations we fall into is hypocrisy. We believe the lie that so long as I put on the mask in front of other Christians, everything's gonna be okay. When in fact, inside there might be bitterness, there might be a hard heart, there might be anger, and perhaps even disappointment with God himself. And in this case, those people are not actually enjoying the very thing they claim to have. God has not just left us with a lesson. He's brought us into a relationship. He wants intimacy. And intimacy with him is what is best for you, it's what's best for me, and it's what's best for everyone else around. 
In fact, one of the reasons you may be experiencing so many difficulties in the relationships around you is because you are not allowing Christ to truly dwell in your heart. Don't ignore what is being revealed in the temptation process. God is allowing it. His purpose is his glory and your good. The point of all this is to dwell in you. He is remaking you. You are not condemned to learn on your own or lean on your own strength like me when I was trying to learn the piano. He is with you and he empowers you. The same spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. This is what you need to face temptation. There will come a day when this new construction is complete and there are no more cracks There's no more wreckage, no more decay. The process now is pointing towards an incredible future. Don't let Satan lie to you. If you are in Christ, you are on your way to glory. 